Hello and bienvenue à Sketch Therapist, the podcast that improves your sketch life. I'm your host, Roshan Curé, and in this week's episode, we're going to continue my journey through Clermont-Ferrand in the heart of the Auvergne in the middle of France, where I spend a couple of days as a solo sketcher and then draw lots and lots of babies in an art gallery just for children. I have my ups and downs, but I hope you enjoy it. Come along for the ride. Bonjour, it is Tuesday, Tuesday morning. I thought I would like to give you a little word picture of Clermont-Ferrand and tell you a little bit about how I spent my day yesterday because it was an exceedingly French day. Well, more of an Auvergnat day. Yeah, Auvergnat, I think that's the adjective for a day from the Auvergne, which is uh, this region in the harsh France. Clermont-Ferrand would not be a huge city, but I find it a really nice size and a really nice town. It's in a little dip surrounded by um, an extinct chain of volcanoes. Um, it means it's a little bit hilly, the town itself. How big is it? Uh, well, you could certainly walk around it in a few hours without any difficulty at all. So maybe two hours in a, in a comfy pair of runners, probably you could do that. It's got a wonderful and very famous cathedral built out of black ro- uh, volcanic rock. Um, and it's called uh, Notre Dame de l'Assomption, I think, um, Our Lady of the Assumption, I think. But it's crazy. It's, it's like it doesn't have a kind of a square or plaza or anything like that in front of it. So you're standing at the foot of it and suddenly you look up and you just keep craning your neck forever as you just keep looking up and up and up and up and up and up. So um, yeah, I've, I have drawn it, but I wouldn't mind giving it another go because it's pretty cool. Then again, it's very ornate. So you really have to have got your, you know, your training done for for a building like that. So what else does Clermont-Ferrand have? It has a an old part. It has an old part full of twisting, very narrow streets. Um, they off of which off of which are many little alleyways, and more smaller still winding little streets. Um, they're very very narrow and you can't quite touch one side when you're touching the other side, especially if you're only a small person like me. But uh, maybe if you're holding hands with someone, you probably could. Yeah, I definitely... Yesterday I was sketching and when cars went past, I was I had my back up against the wall of a, uh, a little shop. Um, I don't know if it was a little art gallery or a tiny little antique shop, something like that. And there's only room for one car to take the alleyway at a time um but even at that every time a car passed I had to make myself flat and hug myself into the into the alcove of the antique shop so that'll give you an idea of how narrow they are the buildings are quite tall in these little alleyways and they're a very rich creamy salmon pink stroke yellow ochre in colour so it's kind of a natural plaster colour and they're all they're all lime plastered they've all got nice curved edges as they come to the windows. And the windows are all edged in um, a volcanic rock, black volcanic rock. So it's, 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 it's deeply, uh, steeply rural French in feeling, or let's say central French in feeling, because it's not rural, it's a town. But it's, it's a, 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 an imagery I've used a lot of times is that it's very three musketeers-y. 
So that's that's very much the vibe. That is the vibe. Um, I mentioned yesterday in my little post on Instagram that uh, you wouldn't be too surprised to see Porthos. I think Porthos is the fighty one. Or is he the lover out of Three Musketeers? I, I'm not 100% sure. But there's one that's always... is he, He's either always loving and always fighting or just always loving. I can't remember. But you could definitely see a great big hefty musketeer being chucked out of a, a bar here and getting into a brawl. I don't know. I think there might be muskets involved. So then what's lovelier still about Clermont-Ferrand is that you are surrounded completely by nature. You can go into the volcanic hills. You can take a bus up there, actually. And you can uh, take a swim. You can take a swim if it's nice weather in, in, in one of the lakes around the town up into the hills. So you're in countryside very, very quickly. And uh, my good friend Tazab and his lovely lady Sylvie, who live here, they waste no time at all in hopping on their bicycles and heading for the hills. So for the sport of sporty types, I'm not going to say sport if it's French, for the sporty types, you really are in heaven. Um, what else can I say about Clermont-Ferrand? It has, oh, do you know what it is? It's the birthplace of uh, Michelin, the tyre company. And there's a fabulous uh, museum called Aventure du Michelin. And I, I really want to go back. I spent a, a nice couple of hours there with uh, Tazab's father, Jean-Pierre, absolute gent. Um, but I want to go back because we did it a little bit fit quickly. We had to do something. So I want to go and give a little bit more time to it and really read all the exhibits. Um, it's a big rugby town. Um, can't say any more than that. Then, yep. Definitely a rugby place. It's got a big sculpture of a rugby ball in the town, like an artistic sculpture. It is big on meat. It is very big on meat and um, duck and horse. Yes, horse. And uh, I guess beef, big on beef. And it's an all-round super place. It's an all-round super place and I love to, I love to visit so that is my what else can I tell you oh it's I should really tell you where it is it's south of Paris um, it's right if you put a pin in the middle of France you're pretty much in Clermont-Ferrand so it's nowhere nowhere close to the coast absolutely nowhere no, no, close to the coast but because you're surrounded by volcanoes and lakes personally I wouldn't miss it not at all and I've lived next to the coast all my life so it doesn't bother me one remote bit that you're nowhere near the sea here uh, you can get here as you discovered last week by train and plane and automobile and you can get here by plane and plane which is by far the preferred option unless you're living somewhere close by it's got Clermont-Ferrand it's got nice parks it's very sophisticated civilised that's the word I'm looking for civilised and the people are very friendly and very nice and very welcoming they are very welcoming and they don't waste any time in asking you where you're from what you're about what you're up to and are just full of well wishes and encouragement for a pleasant trip so definitely come to Clermont-Ferrand if you want a uh, most French experience with some really nice food and some fabulous countryside I'm recording this little segment outside a very pretty little bar, which I'll get the name of for you in a minute. It's lovely. I've been here before, actually. I had a very nice hamburger here once. 
excuse me that's just me having a sip of mulled wine i've been sketching all day and apart from sketching i've been walking into the hills and i well made a choice not to bring a bottle of water which was a bit stupid because i was absolutely dying of thirst by the end of the day and i know wine doesn't really quench your thirst but a hot wine with a little slice of orange in it beside the uh a huge black cathedral made out of volcanic rock with the twinkly fairy lights over my head. Evening is fall has evening is here and it's dusk is falling, whatever the word is, dusk is upon us. And soon it'll be dark. I'm looking at the silhouette of the cathedral, and it's just black against that sort of gloaming sky colour. Um and the tree above my head is just a kind of cobweb of black branches and twigs with just a few little patches of yellow of the few remaining leaves. It's funny, I, I came here on Thursday and the trees were still had, were still in quite a lot of leaf and now they just, you know, don't have any leaves. Leaves. Okay, there's a little bit of metal noises going on. People, lift your metal gates when you're moving them, please. So I'm next to the Christmas market and when I was here last night, despite the surroundings being as lovely and twinkly as they are now it was the least relaxing spot I've ever sat in my life because there was lots of uh, workers putting up the um, putting up the little wooden huts that are going to hold the Christmas market stalls any day now but you know Christmas time and Christmas decorations in a city they annoy me a lot because I'm, I'm just one of those you know grinchy people scroogey people but not here here it's just super tasteful it's not overdone there aren't sort of Christmas carols from the 1950s US style or 1970s UK style to drive my ears absolutely mental um, and it's just perfect it's really lovely it's everything you want the air is cold and crisp and they've they've really gone over the over the top with their simple yellow lights which really warms the place up and they're strung from from leafless tree to leafless tree and well there's a few little yellow yellow leaves still attached it's just so pretty if i was going to sketch that cathedral in front of me i would probably do all the lines probably have the tree trunk standing out against the black of the uh of the of the of the stone of the cathedral and then i would so it have it all a pretty sort of um non indistinct one from another and then i would get a yellow posca pen and just dot on all those leaves kind of a straw yellow posca acrylic pen and i would put on all the leaves and i think that would work really well so i just thought i'd tell you a little bit about yesterday um again all on my own not used to it at all one second just a hot sip of hot uh, mulled wine oh that's really nice i've no idea what type of wine it is but they've put something sweet in it and something spicy and uh there's a slice of orange floating around in, in top. And it's just all very, very lovely. So, was I looking forward to being on my own all day? Um, I don't know if I was looking forward to it exactly, but it has been a very long time since I've spent any length of time on my own. So I'm not really used to it. And anyway, lots of things to sketch, lots of things to do. And I started the day by walking to um, Place, I think it's Place Versin-Jatorix, with the big statue of Versin-Jatorix, which I didn't have to keep saying his name, in the middle of it. And anybody who um, is familiar with Asterix and Obelix will be very familiar with, well, we call him Versin-Gatorix when, we, when we're little kids and we read Asterix and Obelix. And he was a conquered Gaul. That's all we knew from reading Asterix and Obelix. We have no idea the detail. Um, he was a conquered Gaul, conquered by the Romans, but 
you wouldn't know that to look at the statue. In the statue, which is on a massive pedestal, he's the statue itself is made out of uh, dark green copper. And uh, the first thing get, first thing Jederick's is he's riding his steed into battle. And he's in all his gaulish cool clothes, kind of like blankety things thrown over his shoulder. And he's got like spiky helmet, really class, really class, kind of a winged helmet. And he's he's got a, his right arm is up in the air and he's got his sword and he's clearly saying, charge like that so i don't know how realistic that is anyway his horse is rearing up about to gallop into battle and uh and uh, there's a dead roman at his feet so there you go uh he clearly wasn't beaten by that particular roman so i thought it'd make a really nice subject to draw um and it did it made a lovely subject to draw and the way i approached it was to use a very very dilute phthalo green because that was my intention to paint it in phthalo green Oh, such a nice wine. Go and make yourself a nice mulled wine if it's if you're not driving and if you're cosy at home. Go and do it. Actually, I've numerous occasions I've bought packets of of spices for mulled wine and I don't know if I've done it very often. I'm definitely going to do it when I get back to Ireland. It's so nice. Um so I started off with a phthalo green, very very dilute for the outline of the of the horse and the rider because again, you can make you can get rid of the lines if you do it in watercolor, without going over it and over it and over it. If you, if you get my meaning, um, so it's a really good way to go in gently. So I I I I painted out the shape. I made a rough shape of, with very dilute phthalo green. Now the only disadvantage to that is the outline might cover a highlight because the highlights tend to be on the top surface of the shapes. Um, and sure enough, that is what happened. I did manage to kill all my highlights. And highlights there were plenty because it started pouring rain. So the statue, being metal, was glistening in the light and definitely had shiny bits at the top that I unfortunately killed by doing that method. But there you go. You can't have everything. And that's what I did. And then after I got the shape right, it was just a question of picking out the heavier parts, the more solid parts of the of the beast with my um, pen and I chose to do it in dark green ink my Emma ink which isn't jade green at all it's a very dark olive green so it's a yellow green as opposed to blue green but it was the best I could do because I didn't have a blue green ink and anyway it looked really nice it contrasted nicely with the um, with the blue green and I was very pleased with it plus there were parts of the statue and the subject which were much darker and they lent themselves very nicely to the Emma dark green ink so I made myself comfortable to uh, sketch this 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 thing um, under the canopy of a of a of a of a, of a restaurant stroke bar stroke hotel. I think it's called the Hotel Le Hotel Le Lion, um, and I have to tell you the staff are so friendly. That's been my experience here altogether. They're just so friendly. Uh, where are you from, Madame? Oh, you're from Ireland. Oh, how lovely! What part of Ireland? Oh, that's nice. And what are you doing here? Working. And what do you work at? <gasps> really? That's nice. And on and on. Very, very nice. And then they always ended off with with uh, bonne continuation or bon après-midi or bon, bon appétit or whatever it is. Really nice. Really nice. They're all like that. So that was my sketch. And it rained and rained and rained. What did I do after that? Ooh, oh, I know what I did. I went and found one of those wonderful little alleys where the old part of Clermont-Ferrand is full of these little old alleys. And they are just so adorable. So I stood at one end and I painted one. It was called Rue Antoine de l'Auvergne or Rue Antoine d'Auvergne, that's it. Rue Antoine d'Auvergne, Antoine, Anthony of the Auvergne. 
that's what I drew. That's the street I drew, and it was a, it was really fun to paint the salmon pinks and orangey colours and the ochres. Really enjoyed that, and uh, I had to be very careful to get my to get my values right. So there's very little light making a Spain tonali, so you can't rely on bright highlights and dark shadows. Everything is much more evenly lit, if you like. So that was my job there to uh, to try and get those those values, despite the fact that they were subtle enough one from another. Um, I also did a human. I thought that would be good for scale. I drew a man walking down the alleyway. And unfortunately, I drew him far too close to the wall. So th- I couldn't figure out what the problem was. Why did he look so wrong? And then I realised that the way I had drawn him, with his feet just touching the, the street right next to the wall, there actually wouldn't be any space for his elbows. So he looked more like um, more like a shadow of a person walking down. Except I wouldn't be able to do that either because there's not really any strong sunlight down there. So I might just have to acrylic paint him out and just move him to the, to the, to the right a little bit. But uh, if I can do that, I'll be happy. I don't know if I will be able to do that, but if I can, I will. I'll be very happy. So the two colours were um, Payne's Grey of the black volcanic rock surrounding the windows. Um, making sure to really, really give them a deep form, really, really deep, concentrated form of paint to, to get that deep, shadowy feel. So there's dark and then there's darker. There's no really light colours. There's no real dilute colours. So it's quite good because it makes a very rich finish, which is nice. And then I am... Um, the only So other than that, other than the dark Payne's Grey, the only other colour was the orangey salmony pinky ochre colour of the plaster of the walls and they looked really nice together there was no colour in the sky at all because it was just uh, it was just kind of a threatening winter sky no blue or anything but what I did do was I made an absolute pop of royal blue really strong royal blue for the sign that said Rue Antoine d'Auvergne and then there was a sign for the um, restaurant at the very bottom of the the very bottom of the alleyway as well and I made that the similar colour which it was really so it was like when I was talking to Oliver Huller the other day he said he'll use one maximum two colours and if there's a third colour it's going to have to really earn its invitation it's going to have to really have a good reason for being there um, and I felt that that blue of the sign the classic French street sign I thought that was a very good reason to have the strong blue I mean it's sort of an iconic sort of a colour blue and that was it and I was very happy and every time a car went past as I mentioned earlier I had to drag in all my stuff every time and that was a lot of times so that was a bit of a pain in the neck but it was a really really nice experience I needed a bottle of wine for my dinner and I was told by the nice lady who sold me the almond thing with meringue that there was a wine shop just two doors down. In I popped, completely deserted except for a wonderful, wonderful lady. Bottles of wine lining the walls, tipping on their sides, you know, the way they do, leaning on their sides on little wooden racks. This was a place that was very serious about its wine. And there was lots and lots of bottles and they all had their prices written on them in, I don't know, Tipex or whatever, something white. And I said to the lady, she said, Bonjour, bonsoir, madame, est-ce que je peux vous aider? And I said, yes, please, I'm here for a bottle of wine. She says, wonderful. Would you like white or red? And I said, um, well, do you have anything white and cold? She said, yes, I'm sure I do. Would you like, would you like 
a sweet or a dry or is it for an aperitif or is it for a meal? What are you thinking? And I said, well, it's for my meal, but you know, I'm wondering maybe red. And she said, well, would you like something from the region, from here? Or would you like something a little further afield or perhaps something a little sweeter or something a little less sweet, something a bit light? And I said, um, mm, uh, I don't know. Uh, and she said, well, is it for an aperitif or is it for a meal? I said, oh, it's for my meal. And she said, well, in that case, may I recommend this one? Now, the cheapest wine was about, I don't know, eight euros. But I, and the most expensive was, well, probably I didn't even see the expensive ones. But certainly the ones that were immediately visible. The higher price was about 15. And she pointed to the 15 euro one. And I said to myself, oh, come on. It's not going to make that much of a difference. And she said, this is one I particularly like. It's not from the region here. It's from all the way over on the coast. But I think you'd like it. It's very light. It's it's quite fruity. It's not too heavy. And I think in terms of alcohol, because I had said to her that I was working later on, I didn't want anything too strong. And she said, oh, I think this might suit you very well. The wines from this area are all really starting at about 13%. But this one is 11 and a half. That might suit you perfectly. And I said, thank you very much. I said, that sounds absolutely perfect. So we walked over to the till and she began to wrap it up beautifully into a beautiful little tall, skinny wine bottle-shaped paper bag, which she then stapled shut and had a little paper handle one of those little twisted paper handles it was all very very nice and we talked about my job and what I was going to do this coming week and she has taken her little girl to Milfom on the children's art gallery that I'll be working in from tomorrow she thinks it's a wonderful place she said there's lots and lots to do the children go crazy they absolutely adore it and uh, she said you're going to absolutely love your time there so I'm going to say all in all, it was a very good choice of wine shop. And I've had my glass of wine and it's very nice and it is very light. It is very light. Although my face has gone a bit red, so uh wasn't that light. And uh I shall try and you know come back to normal in time for my class, which is very soon. Talk to you later. Well, I'm sitting outside the Bar des Beaux-Arts, up the road from my place in uh, Avenue uh, Versailles-Jetorix. I'm beginning to pronounce it a bit better now. Um, the waiter is making the pigeons go away, and he's clearing tables and giving them all a little wipe, and stacking glasses and all that kind of stuff. And any minute now, he's going to bring me a uh, Grand Café au lait, and um, I think they call it a Café Crème here, but anyway, never mind, he got the idea and a croissant and I'm going to be all set up for my very first day at work if I sound a little croaky it's because uh, one of the good people of Clermont-Ferrand has given me the lurgy so uh, it's not really surprising since I've been on the trams the whole time and nobody wears any masks including myself so there you go you get what you get and that's it can't complain so I'm a little bit croaky and the lungs are a little bit um, playing up a little bit but there you go I'll, I'll get over it what can I tell you it's a grey morning it's drizzly I'm looking out to my left and I can see... I've no idea if that's... Oh, it is south. I'm working it out. I'm looking south to the hills that surround Clermont-Ferrand and I can see the blue sky just beginning to break over the hill and a rather gold-lined cloud. It doesn't have a silver line. It has a gold line. And it's very, very nice. I absolutely love this place. I love being here. It's a very slow kind of a pace. Merci. 
and it's brilliant. So there's my waiter with my café au lait and my croissant, and it's just absolutely marvellous. Merci. Um, so starting my first day at work, drawing little kitty, kitties clambering over, over art pieces. I will let you know how that goes. Well, just after that little bit I recorded, that was done on Wednesday morning on the way into work for my first day at the Baby's Art Gallery. But by Wednesday afternoon, I was beginning to feel a little bit dicey. And on Wednesday evening, I came down with a fever that was pretty horrendous. And suddenly I knew why I'd been having all those aches and pains for the previous couple of days. I became really rather unwell. So unwell that um, I don't know how I managed to do my job, really. But I did it, even though sometimes I couldn't see the page through because my eyes were so bad. And um, luckily, I was able to sit in a corner on my own, away from everybody else. And of course, fully masked up. So I did try to record a little bit of podcast, but um, I've left the sample in just so you can hear how absolutely awful things got and I think you can probably tell after that that they, they aren't quite back to normal. But I didn't put you through too much dreadful sounds, I hope. Good morning, everyone. Well, I'm, I apologise in advance if it's too awful to listen to my voice. OK, maybe I have to stop. Would you like to know what it's like to buy something from a French draper shop? Well, I'm going to tell you what it is like, because I really just expected it to be like, uh, yeah, hi, uh, I quite like this shirt. Do you have it in a large? Oh, OK. Right. Um, brilliant. Thanks a million. OK. Yeah. Card. Yeah. Card will do. Thanks very much. Yeah. I'll have the receipt. Thanks. Bye. That's what I thought it would be like, but it, it kind of was a bit different. So I left work yesterday evening and I was walking down a street. No idea what it's called because, as you good people know, I have absolutely zero sense of direction. And even though, <clears throat> excuse me, even though Clermont Ferrand has got two pointy cathedral towers sticking up over it, at all times. Sometimes the pesky buildings block it. And as soon as I can't see the cathedral building towers, I get immediately lost, even though the town is tiny. It's pathetic. It's so pathetic. It's so sad. And I was walking down this little street near my work and I passed a draper's shop and I was looking in the window. I took a picture because there was a mannequin in the window dressed in a, a leather flying jacket with a thick sheepskin fur collar and a cable-knit fisherman's sweater in oatmeal with a polo neck. And I just said, oh my goodness, this is some drip. I have to send send a picture of this to Patty. So I took a picture, and it was because I took the picture that my eye fell on something in the in the front of the window. And there was a shirt that I just fell in love with. I suppose it had a creamy sort of a background, and the colours, the print was um, yellow flowers and blue flowers, but they were just so prettily, prettily strewn on the fabric that I, th- that I really thought it would be. I really thought this is a beautiful shirt. 
So I went inside, always thinking of my dear husband, never far from my thoughts, Marcel. In I went to the shop to see if I could get the shirt in his size. And the man was very dapper, an older man, possibly, I suppose, mid-60s, very dapper. And he asked me what... He, I asked him if he had this shirt in my husband's size and he said, well, what size did he take? And I said, well, extra large. And he said, well, you've got a problem there because there's European extra large and there's American extra large and they're not the same thing. So if you tell me what he weighs, then I will be able to tell you what size shirt he takes. I will know. I will absolutely know. So I said, OK, I shall phone him. So I phoned the husband. I asked him what weight he, he was and he told me and I told the gentleman. And my husband was delighted and he said he was very excited. He loved surprises. He laughed his head off, thought this was great sport and did not want to know any more than that because he genuinely adores surprises. So I hung up and that was fine. And the man in the draper's shop said, well, I can tell you he is a two extra large. So XXL European XL American. I said, OK, OK. Um, I wasn't sure. I still thought that sounded a little on the large side. I also wasn't sure about the print because whilst I absolutely adored it, there was one by the same maker that I also absolutely adored, which was orange and blue um, foliage pattern. It had orange horse chestnut leaves on it and it had blue something and the yellow one, the yellow and blue one, every now and then it had a wolf looking out from all the flowers, a wolf. And I thought it was the most beautiful print I'd ever seen. So then I was confused between the horse chestnut leaves in orange and the wolves with their yellow floral spray in the background. And I knew Marcel would love the bo- both of them equally. So I really, really struggled. And then the man, sensing my slight hesitation, the draper, he, uh, he with a great flourish, he undid the shirt. As you see... Most places would be like, here, let me hold it out for you. What do you think? Yeah, do you think it's the right size? But this man was not like that at all. The shirt was beautifully pinned and folded in a way that only drapers know how to do. And he wasn't for opening it at all. But he could sense my hesitation. The shirt cost a pretty penny. So he decided to go ahead and undo all his work with pins. And he undid them, opened out the shirt with one little crack it was unfolded and in front of me. And I looked at it and it looked awfully big. But, you know, Marcel isn't as slim as he once was. And I thought it looked about right. But I also thought it looked a bit big. You know, one of those moments when you just don't know what size to get. Anyway, the draper assured me, assured me that for this weight, the 2XL European was absolutely the correct size. So I went ahead and I bought it and carried it home. And oh, the man took my wait. Get this, get this. Took my na- my husband's name, surname, first name. He was going to ask for his postcode, but quickly gave up when he realised he was going to have to listen to an Irish postcode. Like, what is with the name and address stuff? Buying something in a French shop, I just find that really odd. Um, I was funny masked up because I still have this terrible cold, and um. This whole transaction happened with me streaming, streaming from the eyes, from the nose, from everywhere. And finally, the transaction was done and off I trotted. But I wasn't really happy. I kept saying to myself, that shirt is too big. Well, I could take it to the, the tailor in Galway City. Apparently we have a tailor. Called, uh, I can't remember his name, but he's on Wood Quay. And he is trained on Savile Row 
that's how cool our tailor is in Galway City. So I could take it to him to have it adjusted, but then the very expensive shirt would become an even more expensive shirt. So then I thought, well, why don't I buy a second shirt a size down in the orange and blue one? And that way he'll have at least one shirt that fits him and the other one can be exchanged. So I decided I would do that. And today I passed the shop and it was one thirty-four, and another man, another draper was looking out the shop window at me looking in and he was about the same vintage as the first one. Different man. And they're both wearing sort of very fancy shirts, not quite my husband's taste, actually very much different to my husband's taste, but fancy nonetheless. I think one had American footballs on it and I think the other might have had uh, baseball trading cards. I don't know. But anyway, they were very, they were very macho. And the only people who came into the shop were men, by the way. No women came in buying clothes for their men, folk, like I was doing, because I'm a nice wife. And so my eyes met the gaze of this other second draper. And I looked at him and I looked at the, the opening hours on the door. It said close from one thirty to, from 12.30 to one thirty, And sorry, it was 12.34, I beg your pardon. Closed from 12.30 to one thirty, and I looked at him, looked at the time and I thought, it's France, you can't really go into a shop when it's lunch hour. It's probably illegal. In fact, I have a strong feeling that it is illegal. So I left him to it and I went off and I had my sketch and I had my coffee and I had my whatever I had. It was lovely. All very nice. A lovely, lovely lunch hour. And on my way back, I was going to call him, but I was already late to get back to work. So I decided to leave it. And I called in after work. Um, it was a little before the end of my working day because there was no point starting a new sketch. So it was a good bit to go before the draper's shop shut. And I went in and both drapers were behind the counter this time with three fine, lovely, handsome customers all wanting something. But, you know, I just pressed on ahead and I said, hello, gentlemen. I said, I've come for that for a second shirt, the one with the horse chestnut leaves on it. And I popped over and I picked it up and I brought it over to the two drapers. And I said, I'm going to get this one in XL because I think the other one is too big. And I looked at the second draper, the new one, and I said, uh, do you know what? What size do you take? My husband is the exact same size as you. And he said, oh, does he have a large tummy like mine, madam? And I said, yes. But in French, it sounds much better. He said, uh, il, y a, il y a un bon ventre comme le mien. I said, yes, that's right. <sighs> so I said, yes. And he asked me what he weighed. And I told him, he said, that's exactly what I weigh. And I said, and you take the XL then? And he said, yes, I do, madam, I think. And the first fellow who had been so sure that it was a 2XL was a little bit quiet at this point. He was, you know, talking to the other customers. I don't know what he was doing. And so the, the second draper, my new friend, he agreed with me wholeheartedly that the that the XL would be just right, just right. So I said, well, why don't I, I said, pity I can't exchange the yellow and blue one with the wolves in it for an XL. And they said, well, why didn't you come back in? And I said, well, because you're probably closed tomorrow, tomorrow's Sunday. And they said, that's right, but we're back open on Monday. And I said, well, I'm getting on my flight on Monday. And they said, oh, well, where do you live? And I said, not too far from here. I said, I live in Avenue Versailles-Jetterix. And they said, well, why don't you go home and come back? We're open for another hour and a half. So I did. I hopped on the tram and I went home and I came back and I was there and back in half an hour with the previous day's shirt. And I 
delighted with myself, brought it in. But alas, they didn't actually have an XL in the yellow and blue with the wolves on it. So I didn't know what to do. And they were clearly not minded to give me a refund. Under no circumstances offer Madame a refund. So the second draper, my new friend, he said, well, do you know what, madam? All you have to do is take a dart in the back of the shirt. You see, this is where it gets very French, totally assuming that I know how to do a dart. Now, as it happens, I am a seamstress and I know how to take a dart. But you just don't expect people to just know how to take a dart on a shirt. So he said, take a dart. If you vous faites une pince, pince is my new word for the day, it's dart probably never used again at the back he said and also if if you still need to you can take it in a little bit at the sides and I said but that does that not affect the um, I think it's, I can't remember what you call the armpit it's got a name and sewing but does it not affect the arm area and he said no 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 and I was beginning to realize if I'd said does that not affect the dart area he would have said no 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 he isn't going to tell me no matter what that this was going to be the solution he said of course you can do it madam of course you can do it and if the worst comes to the worst he said bring it back to us and even if he's worn it we'll we'll do it for you we'll do the sewing we'll do the tailoring I said really he said absolutely doesn't matter how far into the future it is we'll do the tailoring so I thought okay hmm probably will be in Clermont Ferrand some point in the future sounds pretty good so then my new friend, the second draper, said, he said, I saw you earlier looking into the shop. And I said, yes, that's right. I didn't come in because I saw that it was it was lunch hour and it was closed. He said, no, no, I was open. And in fact, he said, I had an Irish man in the shop at that very moment. I said, did you? He said, yes, I did. He didn't speak a word of French, but he was looking at the very same shirt that you are interested in for your husband. I said, really? That's quite the coincidence. He said, yes, it is. It really is, isn't it? He said, no, he didn't buy the shirt in the end. He bought a sweater. And I said, well, I'm not going to look at the sweaters now because I'll end up buying one too. And I only have 10 kilos luggage allowance and it won't fit in my luggage. So I have to be very careful not to look around anymore or I'll be in big trouble. So then I went to the back of the shop to check for the sizes again. And the draper came with me and he was down there. And then he said, uh, so where do you live? Where do you live uh, in Ireland? And I said, well, I live in Galway on the West Coast. He said, you know, I've been to Ireland. I have. And I love Cork. And I said, really, you love Cork? He said, yes, I love Cork. I am a fisherman and I love all the fish in the river there. I have no idea if there's fish in the river in Cork. I have absolutely no idea about that. I am, can only take him for his, at his word. I'm sure there are. He said, I love Cork. So then I started telling him, well, you know, see, this is, this is why you're, I'm, so, I'm so vulnerable in a, in, a, in a European city. I'm vulnerable because the men don't behave like our men. And he said, I said to him, I, I started volunteering things. I said, well, you know, as it happens, I'm a writer. And he said, really? I said, yes, yes, I'm a writer. I have written a book about Galway and I have written a book about Dublin. But I haven't done one about Cork, even though my editor would love me to do one. That's actually my publisher, sort of false friends in French and English. I said, my publisher would love me to do a book on Cork because, in fact, the my managing editor is, in fact, a Cork man. And I said, and my publisher himself would love me to do a book on Belfast because he, in fact, is a man from Belfast. So we talked and talked about this. And all the Draper kept saying was, really? How interesting. 
really. And then what did you do? And then what did you say? And I was going, blah, 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 thinking I was great. Then I realised he actually looked kind of bored, even though he was still asking me loads of questions. Anyway, I paid for the second shirt. I think I'd already paid for the second shirt by then. Anyway, we said our goodbyes and lots of au revoirs. And I suddenly thought, I suddenly had the desire to leave. And once out in the street, I thought, that draper was kind of leaning against the racks of clothing, a bit like one of those models in the 60s used to lean against the bonnets of motor cars. Do you, do you know the type I mean? The ones wearing bikinis. He was a kind of lolling against a rail of clothing here, a rail of shirts there. And it suddenly occurred to me, he was just doing his thing. He was doing his Frenchman thing. I fell for it. I'm such an idiot. I'm such a damn fool. Je suis un... Je suis un idiot. Anyway, I really have to learn not to sound off and volunteer things and just to keep it nice and stumm and say, yes, thank you. No, thank you. Yes, thank you for your kind offer. And we shall see, we shall see if I bring back the shirt with the wolves in it to be tailored. But there you go. That's how the French do it in a draper's shop. That's how they do it in France. And I tell you what, give me that style any day. Actually, no, what am I saying? That's not true. I love the Irish drapers and the Irish draper shops. They, that's a story for another day. But I tell you what, you can't beat your Irish draper. No, you can't. And there won't be any lolling against racks of clothing with them. So my week, my 10 days in Clermont-Ferrand draws to a close. It's been a very uh, roller coastery kind of a visit this time. So much warmth and friendship with my dear, dear friends and colleagues from across Europe um, and, and indeed further afield. So that's been really lovely at the Rendezvous du Canada de Voyage. And the, the, the people in charge of the project that I was assigned to do in Milform were so nice to me. Dominique and all the team at Milform were just really, really warm. So the, and of course, as I've been outlining to you throughout this episode, French general people could not be nicer. They're just such a nice bunch. They really, really are. Um, I've had my eyes opened to French culture in ways that I didn't expect might talk to you a bit more about that the next time. I've seen lots of parenting styles this week. Mm-hmm. Definitely tell you more about that next time. Um, I haven't, I haven't had a truly gastronomic visit this time because I've been so ill. Um, and the first couple of days, even though I, the first couple of days, Monday and Tuesday, that I was on my own, I did enjoy all that the Auvergne has to offer in terms of food and drink. But I was very sore and stiff throughout it all and I had no energy because I was on my way to getting very ill. And then when my fever broke on, uh, or my fever came on, I suppose, on, I think it was Wednesday, Wednesday evening. Well, from that moment onwards, food was just, you know, something that I did just to stay alive and, and the same for drink because my sense of taste and smell disappeared. So it's been a very challenging few days from the point of view of working through illness um, I'm through it now not too bad I'll certainly be able to handle my my trek across Paris tomorrow so I hope you've enjoyed your experience of sharing my little trip 
to Glenmore Farm with me. I deliberately left in the awful, sick sounding bits because, well, it's reality and they're not very long. So I hope you can handle them. I did. <laughs> I went through it. Um, and I'm going to sign off and I'm going to hope that you find the time and the opportunity to come and visit the Rendezvous du Carnet de Voyage at some point. Remember, do it either on your own or with a group. And if you're in a group, you won't even have to speak French because you can chat to each other. But I do recommend it. You'll see the world through sketchbook artist's eyes. And that's always a beautiful thing to do. And it might also inspire you to take up your pens and do some <laughs> happy sketching. Au revoir.